0: You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, Ryan Taz is here. Yes, I am. Ryan, this is our last episode of the year. <laughs> I don't know what that was either. This is our last episode of the year. We're taking a week off for the Jeez. holidays. Um, happy holidays to everyone out there. Happy New Year. I certainly appreciate you for listening and supporting the show. Um, we keep doing this. I thought this would be over years ago, Ryan. I never thought we'd be continuing this. And what's great is... I promise you even better, not even better, but I won't say better, but great guests in the mm-hmm. new year. I mean, I couldn't believe I got some of these people. I know. So it's going to be a great new year. I hope you support the podcast. If you can support us at uh, patreon.com slash inside of you, there's different tiers. Top tiers get to ask questions. They get to the guests, they get boxes for me and notes and YouTube lives and an occasional zoom and there's all sorts of shit, but if you if you just want to be a, a, just support the show, anything helps. A quarter, a quarter. I mean, anything helps the show. Less than the keep price of a cup of coffee. Less than the prices of a cup of coffee, and you get entertainment if you like the show. Uh, great show today. Um, also, a little favor. Um, I want to say hey to Tim's Superman of Steel group on Facebook. I want to say thanks, Timmy. Rock on, brother. Uh, also some great the holidays people in need there's obviously foodonfoot.org for uh the homeless situation which is unbearable um ronald McDonald house there's uh echoes of hope.org for foster youth that i'm on the board for um also uh what else um arm the animal rescue mission to saving animals saving doggies that's what my friend shira does and if you want to donate do it if you can Uh, if not take care of yourself great episode today Um, also a lot of great stuff on the inside you online store I mean there's there's two Smallville scripts that are signed by the like pretty much the entire cast it's a rarity you'll never get these and they're mine that I kept and giving money to charity so there you go so I like doing that so um, there's two there's Arctic and Veritas Signed by everybody. I mean, there's like eight signatures or something on each one. So check that out. Be a good holiday gift, and you're giving to charity. So that's nice. Tons of other cool merch. I can't even tell you. Funko Pop Flash, Funko Pop Lex, uh, Smallville Pictures, Inside of You Tumblers, shirts, lunch boxes, Smallville Lunch, just tons of great stuff for the holidays. And uh, why don't we give a discount code? Should we do a little discount? Oh, oh, yeah, we should. We should. Let's do, uh, let's do 10% off. Okay. I have everything in the store okay the the uh, the code will be happy happy 10 happy happy 10 uh, I think that's it and also, hey sunspin.com it's my band uh you can get cds and tons of merch on sunspin our new albums out we'll be streaming in february but you can get cool merch new cds uh, uh autograph calendars all that stuff for the holidays sunspin.com and i believe that's it make sure you listen to talk Phil, the new season's coming out with us me yeah. ryan and welling uh listen to that uh we love all the support and uh it's it's fun i'm, I'm having fun doing this and i hope you guys continue to have fun with us right now the uh, socials are socials are Ryan (laughs) at inside of you pod on Twitter at inside of your podcast on Facebook and Instagram that is correct my friend and um yeah it's been a groovy year this is this is a very special interview um I'm a huge Hall and Oates fan uh I have been listening to Hall and Oates since I was young they have so many hits and and John Oates wrote a lot of those hits and he was wonderful I was a little starstruck I held it together I think you're going to really love this. You're going to learn a lot about John Oates and how they got along and his new album. And he's such a talented guy and a really great guy. Uh, Super talented and great. So let's, without further ado, let's get inside of John Oates. It's my point of view. You're listening to Inside of You with Michael Rosenbaum. side of you with Michael Rosenbaum was not recorded in front of a live studio audience. Dude, I gotta tell you, you look damn good, dude.
1: Well, thanks. I, I won't take my, my clothes off, but thanks anyway. <laughs> you sure? That. No, I'm serious, yeah. man. My
0: dad is 70. Yeah. You look way younger than my dad.
1: <laughs> like Everybody way. Yeah, I know. Everybody tells me that. Um I it uh, you know, hey, I owe it to some clean living and some good Italian jeans on my mother's side. So, you know.
0: What kind of clean living do you do?
1: Well, where does it start? I've been, you know, when I was living in Colorado for 20 years, I was a backcountry skier. I was a telemark skier, cross-country skier, biking in the summer, hiking. Um, you know, I started yoga during um, COVID, which is one of the best things I've ever done. Should have started it 30 years earlier. But, um, you know, I, um, I don't drink or smoke. Um, and uh, my wife uh, keeps me on a short lease when it comes to good food. So, uh, you know, cause I can go, I can go in the other direction. Yeah. I can totally go. I can go sausage, steak, very easy, you know, and I still do, you know, but, um, but you know, now we, we eat pretty healthy and I, I try to stay fit, you know?
0: Yeah. I think that's my problem is like, my diet is not great and I don't have anyone barking at me or helping me. I just have me <laughs> and my dog. So I wake up and there's no one saying, Hey, you don't need a Snickers bar at 10 AM.
1: Yeah. And you know what dogs like to eat? Dog? Everything.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's true. They do like. To, do you have
1: dogs? No. We, we used to have tons of animals when we lived in Colorado, but now we live in Nashville. We we actually don't have any pets right now. So cool. Working on working on a working on a little uh, house dog.
0: Sweet. You know, I got to tell you, I've interviewed a lot of people. I mean, I you know, I'm an actor and all that, but like I've interviewed you know, Odin Kirk and Judd Apatow and you know a lot of big actors, and I've never been more excited. I'm not kidding than interviewing you.
1: Oh, I thought you were going to say, and none of them are as short as you. That's what I thought. You <laughs> <None> of, <laughs> no, I, I'm, uh, just, I'm just messing
0: with you. I know you can mess with me all you want, but I, I was really excited about this. I've seen you 10 times in concert. Uh, I remember one time you were yelling out, all right, what do you want to hear to some uh, years ago? And I go yeah. adult education. And you go, did somebody say adult education? All right, let's play. And you just played it impromptu. And I was like, <laughs> let me look. Let- let me,
1: let, me, let, me give, let me give you a little insight into some stagecraft here. All right. So basically, when you know, and this is what I found. I right? might be wrong. There might be some people who are actually more authentic and honest than me. But um, what you basically do is you know what you want to play and you go, hey, man, what do you want to hear? And then regardless of what you hear, you go, oh, yeah, out of touch. Man, that's exactly what, <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and, and that's the one you're going to play anyway, so it doesn't make any difference. but um, there's ways around it. I'm sure Bruce doesn't do that because Bruce is so you know he's so New Jersey cool is that uh, <laughs> I'm sure he just actually takes an actual he's got such a repertoire and his band knows every song he's ever written so um, they just trot it out.
0: Have there, has there ever been a curveball where you're like, let's play something you just haven't played in a while and you're actually kind of nervous about it, or you don't put yourself in those situations?
1: Um, not very often. You know, the thing is we have, we have this really amazing problem. We have too many hits. It's <laughs> a, a problem. And, and it's a, you know, it's, it, it, and I say it jokingly, but, um, but the truth of the matter is, you know, when we play shows, what we found over the years is that people just want to hear our hits. That's what they come to hear. And I think in a sense, have a professional responsibility to play them. Uh, and in addition to that, they're good, you know, they sound great Yeah. and they don't seem to age. Um, so you know we, we we squeeze in a couple uh, album tracks here and there during our shows, um, but basically the whole notes show is is a it's just a it's a hit after hit after hit extravaganza.
0: You know it's funny because there's nothing worse. I'm I'm glad you guys have always gotten this right because a lot of times you go to see bands that you love and for some reason they don't want to play a lot of the hits they want to tell you what they've been up to they want to and it's not that you don't want to hear those but you really come the fans come for the hits and you guys never let anyone down that's the thing it's like hit after hit or you know and it's it's always a blast is it something you guys talk about beforehand like you know hey this is what we're gonna do
1: it's just how it's evolved over the years we just realized that that's that's that our show is really i mean our songs are good you know and They've stood the test of time. They don't sound old. They don't sound tired. And I mean, look, you go go see Elton John. You know, he's gonna do basically the same thing. Go see Billy Joel. He's doing the same thing. You're right. You know, I mean, it's very it's the fortunate few that have that that kind of repertoire that can lean on it. You know, I mean, but the you know, the release for me is that when I do my solo shows, I do all sorts of stuff. I mean, I'm all over the map. I mean, I'm doing Uh, I'm doing roots music, obscure blues from the 1930s. You know, so that's, you know, I, so I'm able to do that. So I don't feel like I'm constrained when I play a Hall & Oates show. Cause I have a total, you know, outlet to do basically whatever I want. So.
0: Yeah. And I want to get into like growing up and get into how it all started. But like, I got to say, I was was just telling Sarah, your publicist, Pushing a Rock is a great song. Thank you. Yes, it is. It is. (laughs) It really is a great song. It's like. You know, a lot of people come out with new songs all the time. And they're like, hey, this is our new track. And I was actually, I was watching the video. I was listening to the song and I was like, it's catchy. It's got a groove to it. Your voice sounds freaking awesome. I don't know how you still have a great voice like this.
1: Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I, I do a lot of, you know, on my own, when I'm doing my solo shows, obviously, I'm, I'm the lead singer, you know, obviously, Daryl sings, you know, the way more the majority of stuff on the Hall and Oates stuff. So over the years, you know, I guess I've, I've been lucky that I've been able to save my voice in one sense. And the other way is that with, with my solo shows, I sing all the time. So Not only that, you know, since I've been to Nashville, I've I've developed a relationship with a great engineer, co-producer, and we've worked on my vocal. We've experimented with microphones, we've experimented with effects, we've experimented with certain techniques, and little by little, we've honed in on a really cool way to record my voice. Can I play a hair of pushing a rock? Yeah, man, play more than a hair. We'll put this in there.
0: Come on. I mean, that's if you guys don't all download that right now. It is just you it's just grew. I mean, it's a driving song. It's a at-home chilling song. I love it.
1: And Thank you. Yeah, man. It's it's so good. And challenge to channeling one of my heroes, Curtis Mayfield on that stuff right there. You
0: could totally hear that. You could totally hear that. And what I love is that this song has a lot of meaning to it and yeah. you know, you know you talk about mental health and you're open with that stuff. And this is a lot of what this podcast is. I mean, I have people come here and we don't just want to talk about fluff and like, you know, we want to get to know people, but you know, I deal with a lot of anxiety and depression. I had a dysfunctional family and a lot of people just don't know how to express themselves or talk. I, I finally got my engineer Ryan here in a therapy and he's doing <laughs> it. And people really respond to that. My, my fan base, especially, they love hearing about hardships. They love hearing how you face adversity and you know, how you like this song, it's a rallying cry you say to everyone who strives to overcome life's struggles and challenges. It's a universal theme, an important message for our time, riding on a cool groove.
1: There you go. I mean I said I said that all by myself. Too. You did. You came up. Did it take you a minute to to, to be so articulate? It, yeah, it took took me a couple of weeks to come up with that, but I'm I'm happy with it.
0: Is this one <laughs> is this one of those songs where you could feel when you were singing it, like the lyrics is just, it just, it was easy. Those songs tend oh, to be it, easier, huh?
1: This song has a, a, a crazy story. I mean, I, first of all, I have never re okay. This song was written in 2014 originally. I was doing an album called good road to follow. The theme of the album was a collaborative album where I was going to reach out to people. I really liked and respected. and wanted to work with them. So, I mean, I had Vince Gill, uh, Ryan Tedder from one Republic, uh hot shell Ray, young uh, pop group, um, some country people. And so it was really just a, a, a great way to step into other people's creative, you know, uh, worlds and see what they do and how they do it. So at the time, um, I reached out to uh, one of the first people I met in Nashville years ago was Nathan Paul Chapman, who uh, started really started Taylor Swift off from the time when she was a young teenager to uh, doing demos and up until her first uh, you know, uh, three or four albums, which were huge. You yep. know, and she became a megastar. Uh, Taylor had moved on around that time. And she was using different producers and I called Nathan and I said, man, I'm doing this project and I know you're not working so much with Taylor anymore. Uh, Maybe we should try something. And he was like, man, he goes, that would be amazing. He goes, I could use like a creative, you know, kind of lift. And I said, and then I started thinking about, you know, maybe he, you know, what kind of struggles he might be going through or, you know, and there was things that were going on in my life. And I came up with a Greek, you know, like uh, taking a, a takeoff on the Greek myth of Sisyphus, you know, struggling to push a rock uphill and I thought it was a great idea I went to Nathan's house uh, in the same little room where he cut all the Taylor stuff and um, I laid the idea on him and he said man this is great let's do it so we wrote the song recorded it back on that album but I was never really happy with it I, I think I kind of let it was kind of my fault because I did the music and I it wasn't it It wasn't as good as the lyrics. Let's put it that way. Um, And so over the years, I I played it live over the years. And every time I play it, I change it because I, I just didn't feel comfortable with the original version, but I never locked into the right version. Then during COVID, I revisited the song yet again. And I looked at the lyrics. I said, man, this is just as important now, probably even more, more pertinent, more on point. And I said, Man, I'm going to try to come up with some new music for this. And I used about 98 percent of the the lyrics they are identical to the original. Um, And then I rewrote the track and then I called Nathan up and I said, hey, man, I got a surprise for you. Uh, Remember that song we wrote back in 2014? Well, I said I changed it and I played it for him and he said, man, it sounds great. He goes, this is the way it always should have sounded. I said, okay. And I got the stamp, but I got a stamp of approval. So I went in the studio and cut it this way.
0: I mean, how rare is that? No, nobody does that. It's seldom that you go back to something you wrote seven years ago or how many years ago and go, you know what? That, we just didn't get it right when we put it out the
1: first time. Let's do it I, again. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never done it. I'm, and I've always, I've always felt like personally, philosophically, I guess you'd say is that um, a, 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 re- a recording is a, is a, is a, a timestamp has a timestamp. It's a, it's a moment in time you're capturing something it's what you who you were at the time what you what you were doing the players the engineers the studio that thing all, all those components that make up on a, a recording um and I never wanted to mess with that but on this song I just something was telling me that I had to take it to another level
0: yeah pushing a rock and where it could be you find that on Spotify everywhere right
1: it, well if it's not everywhere I'm going to be really pissed off <laughs>
0: So important if you're sitting there right now and you're stressed or you're anxious or you have a lot on your mind and you just bottle it up and you don't know what to do, it's going to come out and it's not going to come out in great ways all the time. Um, BetterHelp has helped me substantially. Ryan here has been using it for a while, and I, you know, don't you notice when you don't use BetterHelp when you don't have therapy? Oh, the weeks where I miss a session, of course, yeah, yeah, it's just it's 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 like I think people think, oh, what if I don't like my therapist? If you don't, you switch them. It's that easy. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash inside today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com slash inside. Exactly. <laughs> and you are you releasing more singles as as, as we go yeah. on?
1: The whole idea is that during during COVID and, and from the actually the last year or so, I've been writing like a crazy person and um, I have all these new songs. And I said, now i got to get them out. And I have never done a, a totally digital release. Um, this is the first recording I've ever done in my whole life, either with Daryl or by myself, where there's no physical product involved. Now, not to say that there might not be down the road, but. Um, so I reached out to The Orchard, and there's a company, a digital marketing company called Black Box. And I talked about, hey, let me, uh, let me step into the modern world here and, and just uh, do a digital release. And we came up, with a, came up with a concept that I thought that I had never heard about before. And they told me it's called Always On, which means you're always there. Like you're in the digital realm on those digital DSPs. Your music is always there. There's always something out. And you can release something every week or every hour or whatever you want to do. Um, and I said, I never thought of Rick. You know, I always thought in the old school way, you know, you make an album, you know, you got 10 songs or 11 songs, you make an album, you release the album. Yeah. Um, they said, no, just re- keep releasing stuff. So the concept is to release a song every month for the next six, seven months. And we'll see where that puts me. And, um, and then if people want it, want to hear it as a collection, sure, we'll make a collection out of it.
0: I love that. And you, you also teamed up with Movember. I read the Rolling Stone interview, which right. is awesome. Uh, right. The leading international men's health charity, ahead of a, the nonprofit's annual fall campaign where men grow mustaches to raise awareness and funds for men's health issues focusing on mental health, suicide prevention, and testicular and prostate cancer. I think that's badass. Does that mean you're going to grow it and then you're going to shave it again? Or are you going to keep it this time?
1: What do you think? I don't know. I'm I mean, taking, I always take. liked you
0: with a mustache. I read the Rolling Stone. Yeah. And, I and mean, I mean, I can't grow one. I it just looks sloppy. I look like a frat boy or something. Like I don't know what I it just doesn't look right with me. Your face fits it. You have a good mustache. <laughs>
1: That's only because you've seen me for 40 years with a mustache. Um, You're saying you're you're facially follically challenged. I I don't believe it. I mean, I can grow it. It just doesn't
0: look right. It doesn't stand out. Yours is like, and by the way, I know I read a lot of the article, and I know that you're like, hey, you know, people, you know, there's a, a, you were split on it. You like the mustache, but also people would associate you like, oh, the mustache, the mustache. And it's funny because my friend, John Heater, he's Napoleon Dynamite. Did you ever see Napoleon Dynamite? Yeah. Yeah, sure. He's one of my best friends and I I always mimic him. I always pretend, you know, I was just, you know, and I'm like, geez, (laughs) you're a freaking idiot. And he's like, he goes, are you, are you, are you talking like me? And I'm like, yeah, he goes, you're just jealous because Lex Luthor doesn't have a distinct voice. (laughs) you know, because my character didn't, he just talked like me. So in a way, I mean, it's like, it's kind of like, it's you, it's your trademark. It's like people recognize you. They remember you. I think it's a cool thing. I mean, I'm sure you had your ups and downs with it.
1: What happened was um, at the end of the eighties, there was lots of changes going on for me. Uh, You know, we had had this insane decade of mega pop stardom and uh, my, I was changing as a person. And I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to leave that guy who jumps around in the MTV videos. I wanted to leave him behind. Uh, I was getting divorced. Uh, we, I, didn't, I had, we didn't have a manager. There were some financial issues. And I just said that the mustache seemed to, to represent that other guy that I didn't want to be anymore. And we're moving. I was moving into the 90s and I just thought it. I need to change. I need to do something new. And so it was representative of that. That's when I shaved it off. And then uh, lived, moved to Colorado, lived in the mountains for you know twenty years, and never really grew it back. Uh, it was a thing, but now I'm I'm more evolved now. I can I can handle it. I, I don't have I don't have that same connection to uh, to it. To me, it's just facial hair. So. <laughs> right. Uh, when
0: you moved to Colorado, is that when you became friends with Hunter S. Thompson?
1: Well, we were yeah, we were his neighbor. We were his closest neighbor. I'll tell you a very, very funny story about that. Um, we, uh, when I met my, my future wife, we were dating at the time. You know, we weren't married yet. And uh, we were getting very serious. And um, I, um, we, we were living, you know, I was living in my little condo. I had this little condo out there. And uh, we're thinking about buying a house. And um, she's a, she comes from a farm. She grew up on a farm in Illinois. So she's always had tons of animals and things like that. So um, she found this piece of property out in Woody Creek. Which is right outside Aspen, and um, you know where you had a barn, and could put you know you could have animals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So the real estate agent was a really good friend of mine. We go out there, and we're standing on the property, kind of looking around, and all of a sudden we hear these two shotgun blasts, boom, boom. and then all of a sudden, and the little barn that we were standing next to had a metal roof, and all of a sudden pellets going all over the all over the metal roof, and I'm like, what the hell's going on? He goes, oh, that's your neighbor. That's 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 the hunter. Don't don't worry about it. He's fine, and I'm like, okay. I said, wait a second. I said, we're going to move into a house that's literally shotgun distance from this guy. Who's <laughs> oh us, no. Basically. I think he should. No, I'm serious. I think he knew that someone was going to buy the property and he was putting a shot across the bow, you know, seriously, (laughs) metaphorically, of course. Um, Yeah. And I was like and he said, no, no, he's great, man. No, no, it won't be a problem. And so then over the years, we became friends and, you know, we'd go go up there and watch Monday Night Football with him and the sheriff and all that. And uh, yeah, you know, he was if he liked you, he was fantastic, you know, and um, he um, he liked being Hunter. You know, he liked, he liked the slouch hat with the cigarette holder and the motorcycle and the big glass of, you know, gin or whatever he was drinking. Um, But, you know, deep down inside, he was a Southern, He he's from Kentucky. He was a Southern gentleman. And, uh, you know, we, we didn't see a lot of each other, but, um, and I, you know, we, we went to his funeral, the one that Johnny Depp, you know, put on where they shot his ashes out of a cannon. We were there for that. Wow. It was, it was freaking crazy. So yeah, even now we still have our house there. And if you drive out our lane you drive directly into his driveway.
0: It just seems like it'd be hard to talk to someone like because they're kind of out there and philosophical. Or was he more down the earth that you can easily carry a conversation once you got to know him a little bit?
1: Well, you know, you fucking talk like this. And I was trying, you know, God, that's all right. You mumbled all the time. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I was asked to write this article um, uh, for a magazine in, in, in Colorado or Aspen. And what had happened was in that little barn that we were thinking of buying, his red land shark, the one from Fear and Loathing, mm-hmm. was in that barn. And I said to the real estate agent, I said, why is this guy's car in someone else's property? He goes, oh, that's Hunter's. it just, and he had put a padlock on the door and it wasn't his property. And he said, well, this is Woody Creek. This is not like other places. He goes, you, you, you'll get to, you'll figure this out. So when time, the time came, we were going to, use this little barn as a kind of a guest house we we're going to uh, convert it to an apartment live there while we um you know built the rest of the house and so the keys were in the car so i jump started it and i because i went to his house knocked on his door he never answered so i just pull, literally pulled the car straight up in front of his kitchen door and just left it there and 20 years went by he never said a word to me about it <laughs> I think he I think he just thought it appeared, you know, just like appeared in front of That's his house. That's
0: funny. Where the fuck is that? Yeah.
1: yeah. No, no. It was great, man. You know, we... Um,
0: That's cool. Yeah, like That's I said, cool. we'd go
1: up there and watch Monday Night Football, and I got all kinds of stories. It's yeah, We'll
0: have to talk about those sometime, because I, I am interested in that. Now, you grew up in Pennsylvania, right?
1: Yeah, right outside of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm.
0: And did you have a pretty normal upbringing? Were your parents there? Were they cool? Were you... Uh, yeah. You did. You had a
1: pretty... Yeah. I did. I had a very, very solid upbringing. My parents were together their whole lives, and um, yeah, it was a it was it was a good upbringing. I, I have to say, and I think that's that's why it was even more traumatic at the end of the eighties when I went through this kind of change of life, and I had all these challenges with divorce and all that and money. Um, it was even more traumatic for me because I had never experienced anything like that. I would never experienced any kind of turmoil or upheaval. So it really hit me hard. And that's when I, you know, did some therapy and started to look at strategies on how I was going to go forward. And, you know, and that led me to led me to really moving to Colorado. Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Wow. And you, and you went, I didn't know you, you were a wrestler. I wrestled a little too. I wrestled in seventh yeah, and eighth yeah. grade. And in ninth grade, it was just too difficult. The coach was too hard. So I, <laughs> I played something else. I got into a different sport. But you were a good wrestler. You went on to, to wrestle for Temple University.
1: Yeah, I was, um, I was pretty good. We had a great, uh, the school I went to, the high school was a great wrestling school. We had a number of state champions. I was a, I was a, uh, um, I, I won a couple championships, league championships and uh, regional, you know, district championships, things like that. Uh, but I, I wasn't that good, but um, it was, you know, you're right. Wrestling's like probably the hardest sport you can oh, do. Man. You have to starve yourself. You have to be incredibly fit. And yeah, there's a lot to it. Um, but you know what? It, it, it helped me in good. It kind of gave me some strong bones and connective tissue.
0: Could, could you still throw the cross face cradle?
1: I can do all that stuff. You can, do, um, but you can I, still yeah, do it. But yeah, but I don't know if I'd be able to wake up the next day.
0: <laughs> it's the most <laughs> exhausting sport there is. A minute wrestling feels like the end of the world. That's it. You're done.
1: Yeah. You know, one time, I think it was in the late seventies, I went back to my high school because I was really good friends with the coach. He was a mentor to me. And I went back to the high school and I made the mistake of like trying to wrestle with the kids <laughs> and I got my ass kicked and I, it was like, I was, I was like, okay, I realized you know, I'm too far <laughs> out now. It's, it's. Too-
0: yeah, it hurts too much. We're, we're, yeah. How
1: old were you when you were playing music? When did you get into music? Was that an early oh, I, age? I started when I was as soon as I could talk. Um, I have a recording of me singing uh, Here Comes Peter Cottontail at four years old. And then I have a recording of me at about eight or nine singing uh, All Shook Up, the Elvis song. Uh, that we did in Coney Island in one of those r- recording booths, you know, where you put a coin in, you yes. sing, and then the record, fly, you know, sliding out. So, yeah, well, I was, um, I always sang. My parent, my mom was a bit of a stage mom. She got me up in front of people at a very early age. Um, so I, I made my first money um, at the Jersey Shore singing Volare in Italian when I was like, you know, probably nine or ten. Wow. Uh, I won a talent contest. I got 20 bucks. I thought, hey, this is the way to do it. This works. <laughs>
0: <laughs> did, you, did you think back then, what what age was it? You're like, you know what? I want to do this. I think I could do this. It doesn't seem like it happened that early, right? That you were like, this is my career. This is what I'm going to get into.
1: I never thought about it. I just kept doing it. Um, I joined a band at, you know, at, in seventh grade. Was in the same band through junior high and high school. Uh, then in college, uh, the band finally broke up. And that's when I met Daryl. I just, you know, the way I looked at it is people never really... Stop clapping. So yeah. I kept doing it. What I,
0: You probably told the story, but do you remember the day you met Daryl and you, so something clicked?
1: Yeah, I, I remember exactly. We were, he had a group called the Temptons. I had a group called the Masters. We both had singles out. It was in the summer of 1967 uh, in Philadelphia. There was, they were both being played on the same radio stations. So I was aware of him. He was aware of me. Um, we were invited independently to go to this record hop, which was what DJs, you know, a teenage dance, basically. Uh, and while we were waiting backstage, there was a gang fight and so broke out in the in the in the crowd. And so his band and my band, we went in a service elevator down to the street. And that's how we met. Um, and then we just we were both going to Temple University. Um, we just kept seeing each other around. Uh, then he lost the guitar player. My band broke up. Two of the guys got drafted to Vietnam. And uh, I joined his group as a guitar player. That group broke up, and he and I started hanging out.
0: Jeez, just by happenstance. If That elevator, you know, if that fight didn't break yeah. out, you probably wouldn't have met that night. There'd be no Hall and Oates.
1: Yeah, well, you know, a lot of things happened. I mean, if I wouldn't have picked Temple University, you would go to college. I mean, I had a bunch of other colleges I was looking at. Um, you know, it was just, hey, things, you never know how things are going to work out.
0: Who was the more outgoing of the two of you when you met? Were you both kind of outgoing ladies' men, like kind of like just having fun? Everything was simple then?
1: Everything was simple then, that's for sure. Uh, it's not the same as it is now, that's for sure. Uh, no, you know, we were hippies, you know? We just kind of tripped around and did things. And the, the Philadelphia had this little hippie community downtown, and we were part of that. And so, you know, we'd, I was playing in a blues band. Daryl was doing some studio work. And then eventually he played in a bar band. Uh, and none of the things that we did independently seemed to click. And then oh, the crazy part is, is that after I graduated from college in night, the spring of 1970, I wanted to go to Europe. So I had a motorcycle and I had a few other things. And I sold, I got, I think I had 400 bucks and I had a backpack and a guitar and I went to Europe and, and I hitchhiked around Europe for four months. And during that time, I sublet my apartment to Daryl's sister and her boyfriend and so when I got back in uh, October, um, after being gone for four months, I went to my apartment and there was a padlock on the door uh, because they didn't pay the rent oh, and shit. I had nowhere to go. So Daryl was living, a, you know, not very close, a few blocks away. So I just put my backpack and guitar back on, walked down the street, knocked on his door and said, hey, man, your sister kind of screwed me up here. I got, <laughs> I got nowhere to live. And he said, he said, oh, don't worry about it. Why don't you just go upstairs and sleep on the couch up there? And so I went up to the top floor where, by the way, where his electric piano was. And then um, I slept on the fold-out couch and he'd come up, he'd start playing the piano. And I'd pull out my guitar and we'd start. Next thing you know, we were writing songs and there you go. It was that easy. It was that just messing around. And all of a well, sudden- known we had known each other for three years prior to that, but we hadn't really worked together.
0: And what, did you know you had something special or was it just two guys having a good time?
1: No, no. It, in fact, we, we made a first recording at, at the Temple University radio studio because we could get in for free. And we did this tape of a song that we wrote. It was so bad. It was horrible. What was and it? What had, was it called? Oh, it was, it was some stupid <laughs> dip, hippie dipshit song. <laughs> and and, um, and we both looked at each other and went, let's just hang out. This, this is never going to work. Wow. Because his... His voice was very high and pristine. My voice was kind of, you know, low and rough. And it just, it sounded horrible. And little by little, you know, I guess, I guess, I don't know what, you know, he he, he went this way and I went this way. And we kind of figured out a way of singing together.
0: And what was the first song that you could go, holy shit, you know, this is better than that recording we did at Temple University. This is something well, cool.
1: We had, we had, you know, the first album we did was just a collection of stuff that, songs that I had, songs that he had, it wasn't really conceived like a record, but we, we got a contract, so we made the record for Atlantic Records. And it was really the second album, the Abandoned Luncheonette album, where it really came together. Um, and that's what She's Gone was on. She's Gone was on that, song, that album. And that, that song was, you know, I call that the perfect storm. That's uh, the perfect creative storm. It, everything about that was right. It was the right producer in the right studio, with the right song that we had written, with the right players, everything about it was just perfect. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things it's produced by Arif Martin, one of the world's great producers, one of, you know, one of the greatest producers of all time. Uh, but that's Bernard Purdy playing drums. One of the, you know, probably one of the greatest R and B drummers of all time. Um, you know, it's just, like I said, it was the perfect storm. It was the right people, the right circumstance, and we had written the right song.
0: And at first it was just, your guitars and singing the song. That's it. Well, when we,
1: when we wrote it, it was, um, I, I was playing acoustic guitar. and Daryl was playing electric piano and, uh, that's how we wrote it. We wrote it in about an hour and a half.
0: You wrote that um, song in an hour and a half.
1: Oh yeah. If, if that, if that I had, I had gotten st- stood up on a date, uh, for new year's Eve. And, Jesus. um, so while I was sitting in the apartment by myself, I just picked up the guitar and I thought, well, she's not coming. She's, Ne- never gone, and she and I said oh, she's gone, and I started doing this like folky, like Cat Stevens kind of thing, um, and it was like she's gone, uh huh, uh huh, and um, I, you know, I was kind of messing around with that for a while, and then the next day, uh, Daryl came back to the house, to the apartment, because we were sharing an apartment, and uh, I played it for him, and he sat down at the piano, and he said, oh, that's cool, and he started going, going, <laughs> which is the piano riff that you hear oh. in the of the song, and. We just wrote it, and we just looked around the apartment. And I remember, like you know, in the course of writing, just walking into the bathroom, and then it was a toothbrush all, you know,
0: <laughs> hanging on the stand or whatever.
1: Yeah, it's all you know frayed, and you know, I probably, I probably was using the same t- toothbrush for four years or something. But um, uh, and it was just that, you know, just taking these, you know, snapshots of life um, of lo- loss and loneliness, and. Just putting it together the right way, you know.
0: And so you go back and forth, like you did on, on numerous songs, where you'd come up with a little line, and you go, "How about this?" And you just go back and forth with like different yeah,
1: lines. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, and I, I, you know, I can't remember, you know, who who came up with it, but it, does, it really doesn't matter at this point. But that that line, everybody's high on consolation. That's like, I mean, you think about that line. That, that's a really good line. Yeah. You know, and. That was, that was the kickoff. Once, once that line, that that's the beginning of the song was like, okay, we, now we know what this is about. Let's go. And, you know, we just wrote it.
0: You know what else could have worked? Cause I always used to mess up the lines when I'd sing it. Everybody's high on constellation.
1: Oh, I know. And that's what everybody thought it was. Of course. <laughs> of course. astrology. like astrology. Just, just like, yeah, yeah. That was, well, we were hippies. So, you know, maybe astrology thing could have worked, but constellations way better. Constellations um, but, way better. Uh, but you know, just like people think it's kiss on my lips, it's kiss on my list. It's a, it's not your kiss is not a, not on my lips. Your kiss is on a list of the best things in life. It doesn't necessarily it is the best thing. I
0: love that you're talking about this because it's like stuff that I'm like I grew up on. And I'm like you know, how did all this happen? Because I I have a band and I had a band and we sold about eighty million uh, records less. Than you guys sold <laughs> so uh
1: that's, that's a good and one. i
0: know that it was very difficult for me <laughs> we just oh i don't know any band that hasn't gotten in fights hasn't gotten like no this is cooler no this is cooler and it would get some of these fights were explosive like i'd be like fuck you get the fuck out of my house i fucking don't <laughs> i mean i and this was a band that was nothing so I can't imagine the pressures and the, your guys are making money and you're writing songs together. There's egos and there's, I, I don't know how you, you lasted as long as you did because I don't know one band. I was watching the Beatles documentary, you know, and then, uh, one day, what's his name? George Harrison just goes, okay, well, I think I'm going to quit the band now.
1: Well, yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Well, that wasn't that wasn't a good career choice, but, the, <laughs> just, but but he he did just fine. George did just fine. Now you know I think Daryl and I both are very non confrontational people, um, and we would rather you know kind of just go our separate ways and just let things simmer down and then figure out a way a way around it. Um, yeah, it's um, it's you know it's it's really amazing that we've been able to stay together this long. Yeah, uh, and you know we've been together for over fifty years and. I, the way I look at it, it's like 50 years is long enough to do almost anything. So, <laughs> you know, at this point now, you know, we, we, you know, if we play a show again, which we will at some point, uh, great. And if we don't, well, that's okay too. You know, I, yeah, it is what it
0: is. So you've learned to like, go. Hey, there's been ups and downs. There's been all this stuff, but like at the end of the day, we did something great, you know, and
1: it's it's a miracle as far as I'm it concerned. Is a it's a miracle that we were able to create what we created uh, and to stay together long enough and have those amazing experiences in life and traveling around the world and playing Live Aid and We Are the World and, you know, all these, the Apollo Theater and all these, like, kind of, you know, these uh, watershed or no, not watershed, but, you know, these, these moments, these, like, iconic moments, you know. Um, and so... You know, what more do you want? What more do you want in life? <laughs> yeah. Career? Did you ever were
0: you ever like in a not a good place and you're both on stage and you have to pretend you love each other and you're like, God, I fucking don't want to be here. Neither to see <laughs> Yeah.
1: Yeah. Last week. <laughs> Are you serious? How does that how do, no, no, but what do you do? You just you have to just move on, right? Yeah. You just, you know what? It's called being a pro. You know, look, there's plenty of there's plenty of groups out there that don't like each other necessarily. Oh tons yeah. Of All of them. <laughs> okay. And you know what? So whether it's, you know, it may be greed, it may be professional pride, it may be um, you know, it may be cuz you owe the, you owe the next car payment, and you can't figure out how to do it. Who knows what the motivation yeah. is? It doesn't matter. Um, you know, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for being a pro. You know, Absolutely. you, you, you you can just get past the other crap and just do it.
0: Yeah. You know, I, I talked about I deal with anxiety and stuff like and I have some I, I won't mention his name, but I have a, a friend who he ex- has to, He's a huge musician musician. He's played in he, the, one of the biggest bands in the world. You know him. You probably worked with him. I won't say his name. I love him to death, but. I say i mean how do you do it you're in, in a stadium with fifty thousand people and are your nerves going wild don't you have anxiety he goes i take like a quarter of a xanax before every show for his <laughs> that's what he does have you, you know, done it, something like that did you ever drink before you played did you ever get
1: yeah i well i i have never been a big drinker i don't drink at all now um but even when i was drinking i i realized very quickly and actually it was mostly what i discovered when i was doing my solo shows if I had a drink I was sloppier. I wasn't as accurate, especially with playing. My vocals were okay, but my 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 ability to play the guitar was not as good. So little by little I realized that you know, it's just I'm better when I'm sober. It's as simple as that.
0: Do you get anxiety? Have you dealt with anxiety in your life? Oh
1: yeah, well but but anxiety from outside sources. Most of my anxiety, I finally realized that you know, and, and now that I can look back on my life and, you know, with a, with a, you know, a little more, more perspective, most of my problems, in fact, all of my problems and anxiety had to do with me being trusting and having people who I thought I could trust, not, not be truthful and not be, um, honest that, that has been the source of all my issues. Um, I try to be a nice person. I try to, uh, you know, I try to treat people fairly. I try and I try to be as honest as I can, you know, in a, in a really dishonest business. Yeah. Um, you know, if you know anything, obviously you're in the yeah. entertainment business, you know, it's a shit show. Yeah. So um, but that's where my, my issues are. My issues are trusting people and having them stab you in the back and having them not 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 be who you were hoping they would be or at least giving you the, um, you know, the courtesy of, uh, of being straightforward. That that's that's a big issue for me.
0: Yeah, I understand that. It's, it's, it's the worst business to be in when you're looking for that, because I come from humble origin where, you know, I grew up in a small town and, uh, you know, I come out here and you just want to, you want to believe everybody. You want to think that everybody has your best (laughs) interest. Well, they, they all never have your best interest. It's what's for me. What, how do I benefit from this person? And, you know, in your lifetime, if you meet a handful of people that you can really trust and, you know, and know it's unconditional, the love and the, you know, reciprocation, you win, but you have to mm. weed out. A lot of times you have to go through those things, as you know, more than I do. What was the, was the hardest time in your life, really the end of the eighties, sort of like find, reinventing yourself, going Absolutely. through a divorce. What was yep. it that, how empty or how low did you actually get? Cause I know you talk about mental health, but what were, how did, desperate did you become?
1: Well, I, I talk about it in my, in my book, you know, I, I wrote, an, I have an autobiography yep. called uh, Change of Seasons. And I, you know, I talk about it in the book, I describe it. Yeah, there was an issue. There was an issue with some um, money and things like that, um, and it was kind of a. I had, you know, and I'll I'll just say it again. I, I I'd been called down to a meeting on Wall Street with uh with some money managers who uh, here again I had been trusting for years, and I found out that um I didn't have what I thought I had, and it was kind of a wake up call, and I remember um you know kind of being shocked. And it was, a, it was kind of an after hours meeting in this big Wall Street, you know, high rise. And, and I remember the, the, the head of the firm, you know, this much older guy, you know, he walked me out to the elevator and he could tell I was, you know, pretty shaken up. And he said, look, he said, I know this is, you know, you probably think this is, you know, the worst thing that's ever happened to you. He goes, but I'm going to tell you, I think it's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. And with that, the door, the elevator door opened. I got in the elevator and went downstairs. So I got in a cab and I head up to my apartment in the village. And at the time, um, I was separated from my wife. We were about to get divorced. And so I gave her all the furniture. Uh, there was nothing in the apartment except a TV and a bed. It was very depressing. But pr- before I got there, I was in the cab. And as I was riding up, uptown toward my apartment, I started getting pains in my chest. And I thought... my. And I had never had experienced anything like that. Oh. You got to remember I was in my thirties Yeah. and I, I went, Oh my God, I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to die in the back of this cab. And I said, this is fucked up. I said, die by myself in the back of a cab at night in New York city. And I, and I got pissed off and I said, I'm never going to let this happen to me. And I, but I had pains in my chest. Look, uh, Spoiler alert! Uh, it, it didn't happen. Just so you know, I mean, I, I want to let you know. Um, but anyway, so I, but I, I went up to the apartment, and there it was—this like really depressing, dark apartment with no furniture. And I'm standing there, going, "This is fucked up." I said, "I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm doing. I don't know what I'm going to do, but it's not going to be this." And that's when the whole thing started. That's when I started therapy. That's when I made the decision to leave New York. I sold everything I owned, which was considerable. I had a lot of, as they say, I, I might not have had a lot of cash in the bank, but I had a lot of shit. Right. You know, I had apartments and a house in Connecticut. I had an airplane. I had fifty car, car collection. I sold everything, literally wholesaled everything. Um, and I just moved to Colorado and started over again. That's where I met my future wife. that had a house. I built a house, had a kid, you know, blah, blah, blah.
0: You know, it's amazing. You think about that stuff and you look back and it's like, there's nothing more important than your health. I mean, they always say health yeah. is wealth. I mean, in yeah. the end, it's like money and all these other things, they don't They don't matter. They really don't matter as, as as they make life easier, of course. And they make, you know, but if you're not happy with money, you're not going to be happy, you know, or if you're not happy without <laughs> money, you're not going to be happy with money. Right. <laughs> if, you're, if you're not happy with money. I'm- You knew what I was fucking talking about. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. Um, But everything got, everything got better.
1: One of the best things I've heard in a long time. Yeah, Well, you know, if you hang
0: around me long enough, I put my foot in my mouth quite frequently.
1: Yeah. Good. Um, I
0: love it. Do you, what's more important to you? uh, The rock and roll hall of fame or rock and roll songwriters hall of fame.
1: Songwriters hall of fame. No doubt about it. it? Um, Because I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Being in rock and roll hall of fame is, a great career move. It's, it's fantastic for your career. Um, But if we wouldn't have written the songs we wrote, we wouldn't be in the rock and roll hall. Right. So to be, and, and really I I like to, you know, I have a, I'm, I'm a history buff. I, I love the history of American pop music, you know, dating back to the early days of radio and the record player, you know, and, and I, you know, I'm a little bit of a self-styled, you know, music historian when it comes to that and to be included in this great, you know, honestly, a great pantheon of American songwriters, you know, I mean, you're talking about George Gershwin, you're talking about Cole Porter, the Brill Building, you know, uh, all, all these amazing, you know. I mean, I think I think American pop music is one of the America's greatest exports to the world. It, there's no negative to it. Everything about it is positive. Um, it's one of the few things I think that we can ex- to honestly stand behind and say that we've never had a problem with American pop music. <laughs> Yeah. Influencing people around the world. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so, you know, to be a part of that, that exclusive club is pretty heavy duty.
0: You ever fuck up on stage. I mean, royally, like you just butchered a song in front of 50,000 people.
1: No, but I pissed my pants once and I had black pants, so it didn't matter. So I got through the, the you set. did, you pissed yeah, your years, pants years ago. I drank, I drank way too much espresso before I went on stage.
0: And you just sort of like, I can't believe. So I'm just going to piss myself.
1: Well, I, I wasn't about to stop the show. <laughs> hey, I the love show how honest you are with that. You know, it's funny. I remember I doing. Hey, listen, I am so way past all this stuff. I don't care anymore. I love it. I, I remember uh,
0: this director. He's a good friend of mine, Greg, and he was directing an episode of the show I was on. And I was like, "Hey, listen, man, here's what I think I should do." He's like, "Uh huh, uh huh." Uh-huh. I go, "Dude, what's the matter with you?" Because I, I, I just I, I go, "Oh my!" I looked down, and he had just pissed him. He wasn't wearing black jeans. He was wearing beige. He had pissed himself. He's like, I go, Greg, you just pissed yourself. I know I have (laughs) to go. (laughs) It was just, oh man, but I've shit myself. So we don't have to get into that. So we're we're human. We're human. Anyway, um, what's your, the one concert you look back and say, that was the most amazing thing I've ever been a part of that one concert.
1: The Apollo theater with Eddie Kendrick and David Ruffin. When we brought Eddie and David out and reprised the temptations uh, medley. Uh, That we, you know, Daryl and I were both Temptations fans. Uh, Daryl was actually friends with the original group. Um, And when I first met Daryl, one of the first things we did was we went to New York City and we went to the Apollo Theater and we hung out in the dressing room with the Temptations. This was probably 68 or 67. And we um, we sat in the front row. And watch The Temptations at the Apollo Theater, the original group with Eddie Kendrick, David Ruffin, you know, Paul Williams and, you know, Melvin Franklin and Otis Williams. Um, And uh, so then we were asked to reopen the Apollo after it had been renovated. And it was a big deal to to play the Apollo. Um, And so we asked Eddie and Eddie and David if they'd come and sing those songs with us. And we were on stage. We did the steps. We did the choreography. And it was like, honestly, it was like tripping. I, I thought it was like I could see myself from above. It was like I was not, I was, and you know, people talk about out of body experience. It sounds all hippy dippy and everything, right. but honestly, it was an actual out of body experience. I I remember almost as if I was looking at myself doing it in real time.
0: You know what? Out of all the songs you've written, I mean, Sarah Smile, She's Gone, Out of Touch, Make My Dreams, I Can't Go for That, Manny "Dull Adult Education, uh, Pushing a Rock, all these songs. What is the one song you're like, I, I love that song more than any other song. I mean, I know they're all your babies, but if there's one you had to choose, like this is this is the song that I love the most.
1: Well, you know, I'll always say She's Gone because it's the song that put us on the map. It's a song that started the, our whole career. So yeah. how can you not, you know, choose that one? Uh, but I have to say, and I know, you know, sounds like so shameless self-promotion, but Pushing a Rock is a really Beautiful. important song for me. Um, I think I've defined myself on this song uh, as a, a singer, as an artist, as a producer, more than any other song I've ever done as a solo artist. So it's a, it's it's extremely important to me.
0: I'm going to post the video too of the song once please, this please interview do. comes out, please like separately, yeah. because yeah. I love I love it so much. I think the song right. is is just super in your vocals and the just it, it just it just feels good. It's such a great song. Thank um, you. I had no idea you wrote co-wrote one of my favorite songs electric blue by ice house dude <laughs> yeah, did. That, that is one of the best songs uh it is a good one. it's a good one yeah electric blue you know that song ryan on my ne- on my knees i'm oh, sorry i don't have to sing it to you you know the song you know the song yeah do you st- i'll tell, you, fun- yeah, I'll go tell you a
1: good story you want to hear a story about please that? You got me going now. So, all right. Um, I, I met, I ran into Iva Davies, who's the uh, lead, lead singer and lead person, basically, in the group Ice House. Uh, I ran into him at a hotel uh, in New York City that we were both staying in. Um, and, you know, I knew Ice House. I was a fan of the band. And uh, we started talking. And I was kind of in a little bit of downtime. I wasn't really working too much at the moment. And he said, hey, would you ever want to come to Australia and, you know, maybe we could write something. And I said, oh, I love Australia. Let's, let's do it. So he brought me to Sydney. And um, we, you know, we hung out and we were there, you know, and I was only there going to be there for about, you know, a week, five days. And we were we were messing around and things weren't clicking. And it was kind of like, eh, you know, I was getting a little nervous because, you know, he brought me all the way down there and I felt like I was, you know, wasn't delivering in a sense. Um, and he was just it was the beginning of when people were just uh, starting windsurfing and so he was like into windsurfing and he and so we were both frustrated he said oh come on let's just go to the beach man. We'll clear our heads whatever and he goes i'm gonna go windsurfing you can go hang out on the beach so yeah great so we would go to the beach and i don't know if you recall but back in those days and all the beaches were topless in, in, in australia mm-hmm. um and so i was sitting on the beach he was out there windsurfing and i was and so i'm sitting there and this gal comes walking up toward me and she's topless But she had these incredibly blue eyes. I was trying my best just to look at her eyes, at her face, to keep my eyes focused on her her face. And it just popped into my head, electric blue. I went, oh, okay." And then when we went back to the studio afterwards, I said, look, I got this idea. And I said, I told him he laughed, you know, and I said, I said, let's write a song about this girl's eyes that just penetrate you, you know. And and, uh, and that was it. We wrote we wrote it in like two hours.
0: That is amazing. You know, I was watching the Eagles documentary and Don Henley and Glenn Fry were talking, they were at a bar one night and he goes, he's look at that girl over there, man. She's trouble. She's got mm-hmm. lion eyes. Go. <laughs> and that's, how, yeah. it's amazing how a little thing, whether it's a toothbrush, an animate object, whatever can tr- yeah. just trigger like an idea. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. Another song that I love is uh, Las Vegas turnaround. Yeah. You wrote that.
1: Yes, I did. That's one of my favorite songs, man thanks yeah and and that song was written was inspired by sarah allen who later became daryl's girlfriend and you know they were together for many years and she co-wrote a bunch of songs with us and she's the inspiration for sarah smile but at the time she was a uh, well she was an airline stewardess and, right um her and her girlfriend walked by i was just sitting on the steps and uh we started talking and um we start, you know, what do you do? Um, we're, we're flight attendants or stewardesses at the time. And I said, what are you going to do? And one of them said, oh, we're going to do a Las Vegas turnaround. I said, well, what's that? I never even heard of I it. I didn't either. That's when you, you know, when you get a plane full of people, you fly out to Las Vegas and you just load up the plane again and turn, turn around and go back. <laughs> you don't spend the night. And I was like, wow. Wow. Okay. And so that was all I need to hear.
0: You can look back right now, obviously, and go, wow, I'm proud of what I've done. Look at all the shit I've done. You could actually, a lot of people, it's hard for them to s- take a step back and go, look at this. I have a beautiful home. I have a beautiful wife. I have like uh, this music that has inspired people. I Are you able to do that? Was there a time where it was hard to look at what you were doing, step on the outside?
1: Well, I think in the in the last few years, you know, um, you know, moving to Nashville, uh, our son went off to college. Um my wife and I became empty nesters. We started to do things, travel around a little bit more, taking more time off from the touring grind. You know, not just staying with that constant, you know, touring grind. Uh, life has has changed, and um, I like it. I have to say that it's it's a it's a good. I think I'm settling into a good, you know, rhythm. Uh, you know, at this point.
0: I love that. All right, this is called shit talking with John Oates. These are my patrons. It's it's rapid fire. This is it. These are my patrons who give a lot to the podcast, go to patron.com slash inside of you and rapid fire. These are the top patrons. Here you go. Little Lisa, what is one of your favorite memories performing on stage besides the temptations?
1: You mean besides pissing my pants,
0: besides pissing your pants.
1: <laughs> <laughs> is there a memory on stage? Uh, I would just say, you know, playing the classics, you know, the Madison square garden, the Budokan in, in Tokyo, um, you know, uh, that, that sort of thing. Doing these firsts, you know, especially early in your career, that that that's the kind of thing that stands out to me.
0: Do you constantly, I mean, still to this day, get recognized every day?
1: Uh, it, it depends on where I am and what I'm doing. You know, I, you know, like living in living in New York City, it wasn't a big deal because nobody cares in New York. Um, and then living in Aspen, Colorado, with nobody seems to care either because there's a lot of celebrities live there. Now I live in Nashville, and there's a lot of celebrities live here too. So. It's, a, you know, go to Whole Foods and no big deal.
0: Do you like it when people come up and say, oh, my God, can I get a picture or you're fine with yeah, it? Yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind as long as
1: people are nice, you know.
0: Don't interrupt your meal.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Kelly asks, I remember as a little kid thinking the album cover for H2O was awesome. Which album cover was your favorite?
1: Wow. You know, that is a good album cover. Um, that's a, that, was, that, that picture was taken by a very famous uh, fashion photographer named Hiro a Japanese fashion photographer. He did a lot of like Vogue covers and things. That was a cool album cover. Um, I like, um, you know, uh, I guess I think the abandoned luncheonette is probably one of my favorite album covers is, um, the girl I was dating at the time, she was an uh, an art student in Philadelphia and she did that as a silkscreen. Wow.
0: Patty Kay, Do you remember singing at Naval Air Station, Willow Grove, Pennsylvania? I worked security there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yep. Yeah, yes, I do remember that because I met the commander from the F, uh, F-14 wing, and he was going to give me a ride in an F-14, which I was very excited about. And it never happened because the Iraq war started right after
0: that. Oh, Jesus. Ray H., if you could only listen to one artist for the rest of your life, who would it be?
1: Oh, boy, that's hard. Uh, Joni Mitchell. Oh,
0: what's your favorite Joni song?
1: The, well, the album blue is one of the greatest is the greatest album ever made as far as I'm concerned.
0: Yeah. That's a, that's, she, she actually lived right down the corner from where yeah. I live right there. I'm on Laurel Canyon where all the, you know, the hippies oh, live okay. and all that, yeah. the country Canyon oh, all store. You hippies,
1: all you hippies like to hang oh, out. Oh there, right?
0: yeah. There's a lot like yeah. Danny Hutton from three dog nights still lives there. Frank Zappa oh, right. lived around the corner. Carol King lived up the street.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty cool. That's classic.
0: It is classic. Last question, David H. Has there been a time that you were just gobsmacked when you started to play with
1: someone? Yeah, but you not. well, when I was, when I was doing, when I was doing a lot of folk and blues, um, even before I met Daryl or before Daryl and I were working together, um, I got to meet and play a little bit with Doc Watson and his son Merle in the basement of the main point coffee house in Philadelphia before their show. Uh, that was a high moment, moment for me. That was really, that was a big deal.
0: Wow, dude, this has been extraordinary. Twenty-one albums sold, eighty million units worldwide. Most successful duo of all time, Hall of Famer, Songwriters Hall of Fame. Ten number-one records. An awesome freaking song, "Pushing a Rock," is out now. You guys got to download it, please. It's you It won't let you down. It's it's truly amazing. And what what's your handle on Instagram so people could follow you? John it's official. John Oates, official. are You on Twitter as well?
1: Yeah, I have no idea, but I am. <laughs> I am,
0: uh, <laughs> dude. This has been extraordinary. I, I, I can't wait to see you, whether it's solo or with Daryl again. If you guys go on tour, this has been like a dream come true. I, I couldn't thank you mu- more than
1: thanks, this. man. Well, I'd be, it'd be great to meet you more these days. We'll
0: try to make that happen. I would love that, man. T- take care of yourself. Keep making great music, and and keep up with the mental health stuff. And keep the mustache, for God's sakes. <laughs> take it easy man me. thank you so Pre- much John
1: appreciate yeah. you Thanks, see guys.
0: there you have it John Oates legend I hope you enjoyed that we don't have musicians very often Ryan no and it's, it's we should do it more often we should do it more often I'm gonna try I wanna get Debbie Gibson on uh, Paula Abdul and I have talked oh? she has a story okay she's gonna come on the podcast okay uh And that's really it. I just wish you guys the very best. We're going to read the top tier patrons off. Those folks that give back to the podcast the most, patreon.com slash inside of you. And uh, I hope you have a really good holiday, Ryan. I know you're going to see your family and Mm -hmm. it's important. You know, you're close with your family. They're not too far away. It's an easy flight. Uh, I, I might drive it this time because I didn't get the flight in time. I think you have some peace and quiet, you in the road, a man in the road. I do I do enjoy it. I've been doing it all my life, this, this trip up to Sonoma County. it's uh, I'm used to the drive. What's the address? Um. <laughs> 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 Go visit Ryan. <laughs> um. Thanks for all the support, all the love. If you are, didn't listen to the intro, you should. There's a lot of great stuff in there. There's a 10% off discount for the You Online Store. Great new stuff that's going to go fast. I'm getting new space uh, ship keys from Smallville autographs. So those will be up again. We're getting some more of those. And uh, that's all I have to say. We'll be doing a stage it in January. But happy holidays. Happy New Year. I love you all. Thank you. Uh, here are the top tiers. Couldn't do it without you. Nancy D, Leah S, Sarah V, Little Lisa, Yukiko, Jill E, Brian H, Nico P, Robert B, Jason W, Sophie M, Kristen K, Raj C, Joshua D, Jennifer N, Stacy L, Jamal F, Janelle B, Kimberly E, Mike E, Eldon Supremo, 99 more, Santiago M, Chad W, Leanne P, Janine R, Maya P, Maddie S, Belinda N, Chris H, Dave H, Sheila G, Brad D, Ray H, Tabitha T, Tom N, Liliana A, Talia M, Betsy D. Did we say Betsy D already? I'll say it again. Chad B, I love her. Chad B, Dan N, Big Stevie W, Angel M, Rhiannon C, Corey K, Dev Nixon, Michelle A, Jeremy C, John B, Brandy D, Camille S, Joey M. Eugene and Leah, Nikki G, Corey, Patricia, Heather L. Megan T, Mel S, Orlando C, Caroline R, Christine S, Sarah S, Eric H, Shane R, M R, Andrew M, Zatoichi 77, Andreas N, Oracle, Karina N, Amanda R, Jen B, Kevin E, Stephanie K, Lena 82, Jarrell, Billy S, Jam and J. ADHG Rocks, Todd. It sure does. Luna R, Cindy E, Kate F, Mike F. Could not do this podcast without you. I hope you are safe. I hope you are good to yourself. Most importantly, take care of yourselves. Um, it's gonna be a better year. Every year, it's just going you gotta look for the light, man. Mm-hmm. The light at the end of the tunnel, Ryan. Oh, yeah, the good one. The good light. Don't go into the dark <laughs> light. Uh, all right. From uh, Michael Rosenbaum here in the Hollywood Hills of California. Oh, you're Michael Rosenbaum. I am Ryan Taylor. You're Ryan Taylor. That's right. That's and right. <laughs> Jesus. We love you, a little wave to the camera. <laughs> what a year. What a year, guys. Um, lots of great stuff coming up, so I hope you stick with me, and uh, hopefully I'll do this for another year at least. Hey, the power's in your hands. power's in your hands. You could end it whenever you want to. Yeah, well, I couldn't. A lot of people would be unhappy, I think. Would you guys be unhappy? Probably. Then don't. I'll try not to. You won't have to. I just have to, you know, make a living. Yeah. You guys got to get paid. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Love you guys. I'll see you.